0: The more the world changes, the more we find comfort in the things that never change. change. This is Rabbi Daniel Lappin, On Demand, on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome, all you happy warriors. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, where I, your rabbi, reveals how the world really works. And you know already that I think of you, each and every one of you, as happy warriors listening in from almost every country in the world. Not surprisingly, our largest listenership, which is huge, is in the United States of America – um, but you might be interested to know, as, as I love finding out, that uh, we're also very big in Canada. Uh, we're big in Brazil. Uh, we're very big in the United Kingdom. We're very big in India, believe it or not. That's right. We have so many listeners in India. Uh, South Africa, Nigeria is big. Ghana is big. So it's it's really quite wonderful because... As I speak to you today, in my mind, I see you all at different time zones, in different countries. All of you, each and every one of you, a happy warrior. And uh, you know already warrior because you recognize, you understand that, uh, as the book of Genesis says, when Adam was put into the Garden of Eden, it was to work. And work is a fight work isn't something that occurs naturally now some of us who uh, have achieved a level of success and proficiency in our work well we understand that the that there is pleasure in that and and some of us even are fortunate enough to wake up in the morning and want to leap out of bed and get to work but in general Work is hard. It is a battle. It doesn't come easily or naturally. We have to make ourselves do it in exactly the same way as warriors before a battle have to psych themselves up and athletes before a challenge have to psych themselves up Uh, because everything worthwhile in life is achieved only as the result of overcoming our own natural instincts. And so to live successfully means to be constantly engaged in a struggle, constantly engaged in a fight. And yes, the Lord's language, Hebrew, actually possesses no word for the word relax because there isn't supposed to be any relaxation when you come to think of it there really isn't we are better off uh, when there isn't relaxation you want to relax well I've got good news and bad f- news for you there's actually an eternity to relax you really have plenty time to relax and that is in the eternal world to come uh, but as long as we walk this planet As long as we are here as God's children doing what we're supposed to be doing, well, we're in a battle and that makes us warriors. That's all there is to it. We are warriors and happy, sure, because we all know that happiness is a decision. You decide to be happy, and uh, being gloomy and miserable and projecting that uh, Paul of cloud and dark unhappiness on the people in your life is probably the worst form of pollution there is, way beyond carbon pollution, way beyond every other form of pollution, because to impose that on the people in your life is wrong, it's cruel, and it's just plain dreadful. So we're people who are in the fight, and we are happy to be in the fight. And part of how the world really works is making sure that your F5 crusade is well underway. The renewal of your five Fs is essential to what being a happy warrior is really all about. So I thought let's try and review and understand exactly what those things mean so that we can nail down the credo of the happy warrior what are the things that we really focus on and the things that we really work on in order to achieve a successful life where do we fight where do we throw ourselves into the battle so we're going to try and uh, embark on an exploration of that look um, I think you all know already that money is nothing like tennis you can have a terrible tennis game but a beautifully successful life. But you cannot have a terrible money game and still have a great life. That's just not how it works. Uh, you can have a a really bad uh, garden. You just haven't really succeeded in making your garden beautiful yet. Uh, well, you can still sort of somewhat have a pretty good life, Uh, But if somebody says, well, I've got a terrible family, but it doesn't really matter because everything else in my life is great. That's just not how it works. So um, as I always say, happy warriors are not tennis balls that float down the gutter of life. No, happy warriors are not passive. We fling ourselves joyfully into the battle of life every single day. Tennis, you want me to help you fix your tennis game? No problem. I can do that. And I don't need to know anything about your marriage. I don't need to know what kind of car you drive. We'll go out to the courts and start hitting balls. You want to learn to drive a car like the great Mario Andretti? No problem. We'll go out to your car. I'll rip out the rearview mirror and start my lesson by explaining that great Italian racing drivers never care about what is behind them. And that's, of course, with apologies to the funny 1976 Warner Brothers movie called The Gumball Rally. But the point is that I can teach you to drive in isolation from all the other aspects of your life. Let's face it. You can be a great musician and a horrible parent. You can even be a philosopher of ethics and be a repugnant individual. Uh, as a matter of fact, when you start thinking about who are perhaps the 20 most important philosophers of all time, uh, you know, Plato, Nietzsche, Schopenhauer, Kierkegaard, Kant, Hume, Hobbes, uh, Locke, Spinoza, Descartes, Rousseau, um out of all of if i if i list what i think are probably people not necessarily who i regard as great philosophers but people whom academia regards as the world's greatest philosophers 15 of them have never raised children I mean, that's ridiculous i say raised children instead of having had children because rousseau who's on that list did have children whom no sooner than they were born he put them into public orphanages in france wanting nothing more to uh, to do with them and he never did have anything more to do with them so that's pretty amazing 15 of the world's greatest philosophers out of list 20 15 of them never raised children that would not be called being a happy warrior you can be a competent plumber or proctologist or even a painter, and you can treat women horribly, like Picasso as a painter. And, um, and, and And no matter how competent you are in those fields, you may well treat somebody over whom you have power quite horribly. And you know what? There's no contradiction in that. Uh, one of the questions you'll often hear people asking: It's a frivolous, foolish question. How could the Germans, who counted among their number the greatest composers and musicians of all time, and who counted among their number the great philosophers of all time, how could they have launched World War II with all the unspeakable brutality and unthinkable horrors that that involved? There's no contradiction. You see, you could be a wizard with a spreadsheet. You can even be a professor at Harvard Business School. None of this tells me anything at all about your beliefs and values, which are what ultimately define you. You can be an academically acclaimed professor of psychology and a highly paid, licensed marriage counselor, yet be a spectacularly loathsome spouse. No coherence required. No no contradiction even. Because we're emphasizing your credentials. What you know. Who you know. But never what you are. And what you are is what ultimately counts. All of these things I've mentioned. uh, You can be a business professor All of these things are mechanistic and material things. You know what I mean? These are things you know. But let's face it, a horse knows things. A horse usually can find its way home. Even a hedgehog knows things. Well, maybe according to the philosopher Isaiah Berlin, who wrote a uh, a, a lovely little essay uh, about the hedgehog and the fox and uh, what he did he was he was basing that on uh, a story that was told by a greek philosopher and uh, who said that a fox knows many things but a hedgehog knows only one thing but he knows it well and the idea is that if the dogs are chasing a fox a fox knows all kinds of ways to dodge them foxes will even go into the water to try and send the the dogs off their scent they'll find a hole to crawl into they'll uh, they'll they'll do all kinds of things to escape the fox the hedgehog only knows what knows one thing and that's to roll himself up into a prickly ball but he knows that really well and uh, isaiah and just acknowledging this idea that yeah sure animals know things and uh I, I kind of like Isaiah Berlin because he became a very respected philosopher. Uh, he and his family fled Europe under anti Semitic pressures and he settled in England where he was. He became a professor, I think, at Oxford or Cambridge, I don't remember which. He wrote a lot and uh, he always used to say, that uh, I have enormous gratitude to England. Uh, I've got a lot of friends here. I love this country. I've done very well here. I'm a professor and a widely esteemed professor of philosophy. He says, but you know what? At the bottom, I'm still nothing but a Russian Jew with an accent. That's what I've always been, and that's what I always will be. And I thought, that's a uh, a fairly realistic and humble way of of looking at things. So uh, mechanistic and material things, well, they bond superficially and mechanically in the same way that elements can bond into compounds. There's no central theme of unification. So if I'm good at repairing furniture, that doesn't suggest that I'm also good at uh, coming up with pharmacological medications, it doesn't mean that I am a good person. It just means I'm good at repairing furniture. If I'm good at repairing people, namely I'm a doctor, that doesn't necessarily suggest that I'm a good person. Uh, Maybe or maybe not, but there's no link at all. And the truth is that there are many people who may not actually think that their doctors are are lovely, empathetic people, but they believe them to be superbly competent at diagnosis and curing, and and they go to those doctors. There are people who select politicians without regard to their moral well-being, and that's fine. Because you're choosing a doctor or a car mechanic or a politician, that's absolutely fine. But just don't make the mistake of thinking that just because your doctor is a superb doctor, he's also somebody who'd be very good as a family counselor, and he'd also be very good at painting. He may be, but he may be not. There is no necessary link there at all. But anything that has a strong spiritual component, in other words, what a person tells you, nothing, what a person knows, really tells you nothing meaningful about that person. You've got to find out what he believes. And you can do that by seeing how he acts in certain situations. Uh, You want to know what the situations are in which people really reveal who they are, not just what they know. Well, when they're drunk, not that they should be, but if they are, that's when their real being tends to come out. Uh, Also in anger, when they're in the grip of powerful emotions like anger, there too you see something of the real person. And finally, in matters of finance, that also is an area in which people can reveal, yes, who they really are. And um, here's a piece from Atlas Shrugged. Now, you've got to remember that it's perfectly okay to regard something that somebody says as wise and true. But that doesn't mean that everything that that person says is wise and true. That's not necessarily the case at all. So I am not going to say that everything that Ayn Rand, who wrote Atlas Shrugged, was wonderful. But there are things she said that are absolutely true. And she said them better than I could have said them. And so Atlas Shrugged, yeah, a book I think is is probably worth reading. It's a big undertaking because it's a big book. But here's what she says about sex. Sex is a physical capacity which functions independently of one's mind, choice, or code of values. Not true at all. I don't agree with that. She's wrong on that. But to continue with what she says... People think that your body creates a desire and makes a choice for you, just about in some such way as if iron ore transformed itself into railroad rails of its own volition. Love is blind, they say. Sex is impervious to reason and mocks the power of all philosophers. But in fact, a man's sexual choice is the result and the sum of his fundamental convictions." Tell me what a man finds sexually attractive, says Ayn Rand, and I will tell you his entire philosophy of life. Show me the woman he sleeps with, and I will tell you his valuation of himself. No matter what corruption is taught about the virtue of selflessness, sex is the most profoundly selfish of all acts— Nothing could be further from the truth, by the way. That's me now. She's 100% wrong when she says um, the uh, virtue of selflessness, never mind. Sex is the most profoundly selfish of all acts, an act which he cannot perform for any motive but his own enjoyment. Uh, There is a woman who uh, has very little experience of reality. She's certainly wrong on that. Because anybody knows that to a man, the enjoyment of his partner is even more important than his own. So Ayn Rand is wrong on that. But she is right that it is impossible to view a man's sexual choices outside of his being, outside of his beliefs and outside of his values. She's right about that. And the idea that money is not just your bank account, but that, too, is tied up to so much more of what you are, not what you know, but what you are, that comes from the great economist William James. And uh, and the truth is, whether you consult economists or financiers or business school deans or for that matter, the director of the International Monetary Fund, you'll always get much the same answer about money. It'll always be something like, oh, money is a government-authorized, circulating medium of exchange that allows us to count and store value. While there's not much that is untrue about that definition, it hardly tells the entire story. But for a far more useful depiction... I always go to the 10th chapter of a book called The Principles of Psychology, published in 1890 by William James, who, in my view, had a far more correct understanding of the human soul than Uncle Sigmund, that's right, Sigmund Freud, the Austrian psychiatrist, ever had. So, let me quote um, William James from uh, the 10th chapter of the Principles of Psychology. Uh, Here it goes. In its widest possible sense, however, a man's self is the sum total of all that he can call his. Not only his body and his psychic powers, but his clothes and his house, his wife and children, his ancestors and friends his reputation and works, his land and horses and yacht and bank account, all these things give him the same emotions. If they wax and prosper, he feels triumphant. If they dwindle and die away, he feels cast down. Not necessarily in the same degree for each thing, but in much the same way for all. And that's the end of the passage I'm quoting from William James, making the, the point that money is tied to all kinds of things. It has to do with your family, where you come from, your reputation. He's right. It's all of those things. Not like tennis. You can be a very good tennis player. It's got nothing to do with family. It's got nothing to do with your values. But money, William James is dead right. Not with money. Uh, For all my own clients, I focus on what I've always called the 5F renewal crusade. The 5Fs upon which we must focus simultaneously are family, friendships, faith, finances, and fitness. And most attempts to, shall we say, fix finances while ignoring the other four are doomed. You got it? If you ask me to teach you how to read a financial statement, no problem. I won't ask you any questions at all. I'll get right to work walking you through the various parts of what makes up a consolidated financial statement. If you ask me to teach you how to sail a sailboat, no problem. I'll ask you no questions. We'll just head down to the harbor and we'll climb aboard and start sailing. I'll ask nothing about your home life or your finances. You want to know about celestial navigation? Well, I I may not be able to teach you tennis, but I could teach you celestial navigation. No problem. I won't ask anything about your financial condition. I'm not interested in your faith. All we're going to talk about is how to take a noon sight with a sextant and how to do the mathematical calculations to reduce it to a position on a map or on a chart. So that's how everything works, excepting the five F's. If you wanted my help on your finances, ho oh, ho, that's not so simple. I'll ask you many questions. I'll ask you questions about your marriage. I'll even ask about your fitness. I'll ask about your friendships. And yes, I will even touch on your faith. If you ask me to help on your family and marriage issues, I'd be happy to. But I'll have to start off with questions about your finances, your faith, your fitness, and your friendships. These critical elements of your life hinge not just on material matters such as what you know, but they probe all the way down to your beliefs and your values and who you really are. Let's look at these one at a time, shall we? Let's start off with your fitness. Now, what has your fitness got to do with anything else? Surely you can just head down to the gym and work on your fitness, regardless of the condition of anything else in your life. Well, you, you can, but it's not going to be nearly as successful as if you make it part of an 5F crusade, because your fitness actually does Im- get impacted by your friendships, How you look after yourself and how you are motivated to look after your body does have something to do with how you feel your friends view, how your friends look at you and how you value and cherish the esteem in which they hold you. That's important. How about faith? Yeah, well, faith has a lot to do with how you view your body. Faith has a lot to do with how your self-discipline works or doesn't work. That's right. And all of those things very much play into fitness. Family, again, how you look after your body is impacted by your closest relationships, the care those people feel toward you, and your desire to be there for them. And that is why so many extreme sports enthusiasts, who mostly men, by the way, ease up on the recklessness once they have a family. That's right. Your family does impact how you look after your body. Finances, you telling me that finances impact your physical fitness as well? Sure they do. In general, people who have a few dollars in the bank do far better health-wise than those who are fiscally stressed. When finances are, God forbid, in terrible shape, many people then feel, hey, what's the use? Why should I bother? I mean, such a mess. I mean, does it really matter if I eat a few more potato chips and, uh, and, and don't exercise today? And people suffering the pain of financial stress often say, you know, what? I'll postpone fitness to when I've got fewer financial worries. That's very normal and very natural and, of course, very mistaken. Uh, Your family. You're talking to me about your family, then I'm going to talk to you about your finances because finances have a lot to do with a family. I don't have to tell you how family is impacted by financial stress. How about friendships? Yeah, that's important. If your family is important to you, then the kind of friends you hang out with is also very important. Are they good people? Are they people who encourage family integrity? Or are you hanging out with people who undermine the values that are so important for maintaining a healthy and wholesome family? Oh, come on, yeah, all right, fine. I, I'm willing to accept. Maybe finances and friendships have something to do with your family life, but how about fitness? I mean, does that really matter? Of course it does. Your family is often stressed when they see you not taking care of yourself, and that's much, very much a factor. Your faith, <laughs> needless to say, family bonds are far stronger when linked by an outside belief rather than just on the transient emotion of love. Your commitment muscle, and heaven knows, your commitment muscle is hugely important for maintaining a family. Your commitment muscle is very strengthened by faith. So yes, if family is important to you, then your finances, your friendships, your fitness and your faith should be equally important. All right, fine. How about faith? You can't tell me that faith has anything else that matters. Faith you either have or you don't have faith. That's it, right? It's got nothing to do with anything else. Wrong again. Your friendships? Well, that has a lot to do with your faith. Are your friends people who esteem your belief and values? Or not? How about your finances? Well, are you angry at God for your money problems? Are you charitable? A giver, not just a taker. Now, something we know and uh, some of the... um, the, the most important studies that have been done on charitable giving in the United States of America uh, prove, and often these have been done by people who are secular and had no horse in the, in the race, uh, ch- religious people in the United States of America are not just many times, but hundreds of times more charitable than non religious people. On average, right? Of course they're charitable atheists, but in general that is an absolutely reliable statistic. What has your fitness got to do with faith? <laughs> it's so much easier to feel and to express gratitude to God when your body is being taken care of. It's so much easier to feel grateful to God when you are treating your body as a valuable thing loaned to you by God. And finally, don't for a moment think that family has nothing to do with your faith. Uh, Faith is among one of the most important things you share with your family. How about friendships? Right? My friends and me, we get on. We don't care. You know what? If I didn't have any money, my friends would like me just as much. You know what? If I was a religious person, they'd like me just as much. If I was an atheist, they'd like me just as much. Um, if I was a fat and unhealthy slob, they wouldn't care. Okay, fine. I'm sure, you know, we all have friends like that. Uh, sometimes they lost, and sometimes they are not lasting friendships. But again, uh, in general... Uh, your friendships are strongest when friends are united by more than common interests or shared experiences. When you have friends with whom you share important underlying values, you have friends with whom you share beliefs. Your friendships are strengthened by that. Are your friendships impacted by your family? I mean, what does my f- what do my friends care about? Where what by fa No, they do. I'm going to tell you something. Most people, even single people, are rightly more trusting of people who maintain great families. The truth is that although it is probably illegal in many countries of the world today, employers, smart and wise employers who are looking to build companies for the long term would much rather hire married people than single people. Now, you might say, well, a lot of people would say, no, I just want to hire somebody who has no family obligations. I just want to hire somebody who will focus only on his job. Short term thinking, big mistake. And uh, I'm talking mostly about men here, Sadly, and uh, in the United States of America, as well as in other countries, uh, there are employers who'd rather hire single women. And if they could hire single women who definitely won't ever get pregnant, they'll even be happier. But again, short-sighted, and there are a lot of problems in that area. Are your friendships impacted by your fitness? (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, I don't know if this is something you've noticed, but... People tell me all the time that their friends are often a bit uneasy about them when they're reckless with their physical well-being. You think about it, it makes sense, right? If you have somebody... And you've, you've got a friend and all of a sudden you find that this friend is starting to take risks and he's starting to put on weight. And you, you probably, if you're a good friend, you'd probably sit down with him and say, you know, is, is something the matter. I've noticed you're not looking your best lately because that is part of what friendship's about. So don't for a moment think that your friendships are not impacted by your physical fitness. They are. And then finally, and this is always a slightly ticklish topic, but uh, your friendships are also impacted by your finances. People, especially people who are good people and whose lives are stable, well, they're just a teensy bit uneasy being around people that they feel are needy financially. You know, they'd like to help them, but then that does something to the friendship. That's hard to maintain the friendship. The truth is that everybody is more comfortable uh, having friends who are themselves comfortable financially. So, yes, don't for a moment think that your friendships are not impacted by your financial condition. They are. Well, how about your finances? are your finances impacted also by your uh, uh, by other things in your life? Well, this one is is almost too easy and self-evident to even spend time on, but I will. How does family impact your finances? Well, Frankly, it's just hard to focus productively on serving others, which is the essence of financial success, if you don't have a base that is a haven of security and tranquility. And that, by the way, is a pretty good definition of family, isn't it? Your haven of security and tranquility. And you can focus much more on your economic productivity when you have that to retreat to when the sun goes down, one is driven to success far more by the desire to provide for others than merely by the desire to acquire more for oneself. And this is something I've discussed in previous shows. But again, it's self-evident. You think about it, you see that there is a limit to how hard I'm going to work if it's just you know another dollar in my bank account, another toy to play with, another piece of property, there comes a time here fine but providing for a family taking care of a of a wife taking care of children it's a huge motivator it's a huge driver of discipline and so really married men should be on their knees in gratitude to their family every day for allowing them to support their families Because that is a huge driver of success. Does your faith shape your family? Of course it does. Excuse me, your finances. We're on finances now. I've just finished explaining why your family impacts your finances. How does your faith impact your finances? Well, only through biblically based faith can we have a deep moral conviction in the intrinsic morality of business and the dignity and goodness of making money. Oh, yes. I mean, without any faith at all, you can certainly uh, say, well, it's every man for himself. You know, I look out for myself. I'm number one. And and there are people who definitely make money that way. There's no question, right? There are people who do. But there are also people who smoke cigarettes and eat very badly and who live to a ripe old age. Um But that's not the general pattern. That's probably not a really good thing to bet on. Um, If you are interested in your finances, you would be wise to devote some serious thought to your faith. That really is a part of it. Your fitness, surely your fitness has nothing to do with your finances. Oh, yes, it does. It's frankly hard to focus on being economically productive when you're not feeling your best when you i mean let me let me tell you something even bigger than that neglecting fitness can often make us feel well a little self-loathing uh, that feeling that we lack the self-discipline to tame our appetites and that can radiate out to others as a lack of self-confidence and so when you know you're not taking care of your body you are not only not performing at your best But worse than that, you are radiating out something that will uh, negatively impact your ability to form transactions with other people. And then finally, the fourth one uh, that is an adjunct to finances is your friendship. Making money depends, among other things, on the number of people in our orbits who know us, who like us. And who trust us, are there some rotten people out there who make a lot of money? Sure, there are some. Are there some really idiotic people who make a lot of money? Sure, but not many. There are a few people who have jumped out of a flying airplane without a parachute and survived. Weird stories, but there are a few, so few that this is a procedure that should definitely be recommended against. Similarly, one could say that it's not impossible to be a stupid person and a scoundrel and a rogue and still make a few dollars, but it's not recommended. The odds are really against you. Look, that just is a reality. Uh, If you know how the world really works then you are going to focus on your finances, your family, your faith, your friendships, and your fitness. If you are totally oblivious of those things, if you have zero understanding of how the world really works, you could still be a highly rated tennis champion. You could still be an idolized musician, but you're unlikely to be a successful business professional. And you'll remember that one of the most important principles that ancient Jewish wisdom has to contribute on the topic of business success is to realize that you are in business. You know, like me, I know very highly qualified doctors who frankly struggle to make a living. They're not doing well. I know highly well-knowledgeable lawyers who know the precedence of law backwards and forwards, and they struggle to pay the bills. That's because they think of themselves as a doctor or they think of themselves as a lawyer instead of thinking of themselves as a business professional. And, and that is why it is that uh, I actually have clients, coaching clients I've had, who were doctors and lawyers, where it was, specifically was a doctor and a lawyer, and today they have rolled with the punches and they've changed their outlook completely. They are now business professionals, And in these two cases, they're actually serving other doctors and serving other lawyers in areas like marketing, for instance. But um, above all, seeing oneself as a business professional is far more supportive of success than saying to yourself, well, I'm a doctor. The world should be the path to my door. I'm a plumber, I'm a proctologist, I'm a pharmacologist, uh, I'm a poet, I'm whatever it is. Those may be things you answer when you fill out a government census form that wants to know your occupation. They may things you have to be, things you fill out when you arrive in a country and you have to fill out an immigration form or a passport or customs form. What is your occupation? You know, say, uh, I am a, uh, uh, whatever it is, I'm a marketing agent. Agent, I'm a, uh, a, a a plumber. It doesn't matter, whatever it is. But in your own heart, realize that you are a business professional, and successful business professionals understand the linkage between the five important Fs. That is really how the world works. And so, friends. I uh urge you stay in touch wherever you may be uh visit the website rabbi daniel or alternatively you need a rabbi that works as well and uh by all means let me hear from you I love knowing where you're listening from I love that and uh I put another pin in whatever country you are listening from one of the uh, huge um, advantages in in today's digital age of a podcast like this for me over a terrestrial radio shows I have had uh, in the past is number one people can listen at their convenience you can even stop in the middle and come back to it when you have some more time Um, You can listen to it, speed it up or slow down. You can listen to it twice. These are all very big advantages of the podcast. And why and above all, of course, as I was saying that instead of an audience in one city, uh, you have an audience around the world, which I very much enjoy and particularly once International travel will once again resume, and I'll have the opportunity to meet so many of you in some of the countries that I visit. Um, so, uh, rabbi rabbidaniellappin.com is the website, and I have been encouraging those of you who are interested in the Bible to um, r- obtain the first Bible that I wholeheartedly recommend, um, this is the first time I've recommended it, and at my website store, you will see Rabbi Daniel Lappin's recommended Bible. I call it that because it's it's quite for me. It's a it's a phenomenon in that over the years, so many people have said to me, "What do you recommend as a Bible?" And I simply I've said I can't recommend anything. I really can't. Uh, but for the reasons that I explain on the website. Uh, where you read about this Rabbi Daniel Lapin's Recommended Bible, you will see some of the reasons that uh, I do encourage it. Uh, just as an example, one of them is that names are transliterated from the Hebrew instead of changed. So, for instance, Jacob is a distortion of Yaakov. Uh, Yosef is usually translated as Joseph. But what I like about this Bible is that it calls him Y-O-S-E-F. And so when you hear me talk about the meaning of that word, you're safe, and I explain to you the root of the word and how it means increase and what this has to do with other instances of that same word appearing, you can actually follow along. Uh, When I speak about uh, three consecutive Um, verses, starting with the same letter and ending with the same letter, or I speak about consecutive verses that have the same number of letters in them, it's very easy to just move your finger to the right side of the page where the Hebrew text appears in very beautiful typographic font laid out in exactly the same way it's written in an original Hebrew scroll. Uh, the origin of what we in English call paragraphs can actually be seen in the Hebrew text, and this is also carried over into the English. All of which are part of the way that ancient Jewish wisdom decodes the text. Anyway, they they really are quite beautiful, and uh, these Bibles make magnificent. Well, I for me, mine is a family heirloom uh, Bible. It's 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 something that. Uh, I not only enjoy studying from, and I not only enjoy referring back to the maps at the back, but just holding it in my hands, this is great, you know, I've got the whole Hebrew scriptures right there in my hands, easy to find my way around and uh, and I'm happy to bring it to your attention. For those of you for whom the Bible is playing an important part in your lives, or maybe will come to play an important part in your lives, uh, this is really uh, just a really nice one. And the other thing that uh, you should be aware of is that we have on the website something which you can either buy in the form of a USB Uh, drive, which will be mailed to you, or you can download it, and that is 10 video lessons of me teaching financial principles from ancient Hebrew wisdom. And um, again, that's something you can do at your own time and at your own leisure, but it is a very worthwhile uh, project. I got a lot out of creating it And based on what many people, and I'm so grateful to hear from you, many people have spoken to me about how it has given them step-by-step strategies for changing their financial circumstances, Uh, read about it, see if it's something that would work for you or someone in your orbit, and uh, it's called the Financial Prosperity Collection, the Financial Prosperity prosperity collection and you'll find that at my website which is you need a rabbi.com or you can just type in rabbi daniel com. both of those work just fine head over to the store take a look at my recommended bible and take a look at the uh the um uh financial prosperity collection which you can either have shipped to you or you can have an instant download. You could actually have it on your computer or your device uh, as soon as we finish this uh, show right here and now today. So thanks so much for being part of the show. Much appreciated knowing you there. And uh, again, thank, thank you, many of you who have been passing the word. Uh, last week, I had the opportunity to actually meet many people in a blessedly relaxed environment, and it was so wonderful Uh, to hear from people who are regular listeners of this podcast. That places an added burden of responsibility on my shoulder to be sure that I'm not wasting your time, but I I welcome that responsibility, and I do my best to respond to it in a very productive way, using your time as valuably as I use my own. So until we are together next week on the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show— I thank you so much for being part of the show, and I wish you a fantastically good week with your finances, your faith, your friendships, your uh, your fitness, and what did I leave out there? Your finance, your faith, your friendships, your fitness, and your friendship. Did I say friendships? Uh, oh, what am- I hope I'm not making a total mess of this, but until next week anyways, God bless you all, you happy warriors. Filling ancient solutions to modern problems in areas of family, faith, friendship, and finance. This is Rabbi Daniel Lapin on demand on the Blaze Radio Network.